John, my man, my brother, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for the time. Hope you and yours are well. Oh, it's good to hear your voice always, my man. I don't know if people know our history, but we did go to college together back in the day. It's been a busy week, but when Aton Sanders shows up in your phone, you take that call every day of the week. You know, there, there is a dwindling number of people on the planet that are considered in that group. And I'll always be grateful that you're in that small group because, you know, it gets smaller and smaller the older you get and the right. louder you are. So I'm grateful for you. And, man, it, it does. It, it is funny, though. It does feel like yesterday, right, that, that you and I were hanging with a couple of others, Brian and Joe, and just yeah. hanging. What was that, 20 years ago, 22 years ago? It's nuts, man, to think about meeting you in 1997, and oh. here we are 23 years later. See, it's like the last dance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, man. Going back and reliving that. All right, so first off, how thrilled are you? Put this into context for everybody out there who doesn't know what the day-to-day -day has been like for John Anik leading up to this huge card Saturday night. How thrilled slash relieved are you to go back to work? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of us with the UFC in particular are just anxious to contribute because our boss, Dana White, has been so bullish in not trying to be back first, but just trying to be back. Big picture with the UFC, logistically, when it comes to safety and security and everything else, we're doing a show globally 41 of the 52 weeks a year and dealing with all different logistics and variables and safety concerns. So I do believe in a very general sense, that the UFC was better equipped to, to try to put on a show with this global pandemic backdrop than maybe some other leagues. But, yeah, man, I mean, I'm home with three kids, and I know I probably could have it a whole lot worse, but it really has been an arduous 60 days of complete isolation with my immediate family. Uh, there is certainly some anxiety hitting the road. We were supposed to come back April 18th in California. Now I'm getting essentially what amounts to a home game in Florida, which uh, is certainly advantageous when it comes to the preparation and the travel and everything else. But, uh, yeah, man, I think for anybody who fancied like an early retirement and playing a bunch of golf, this has taught us by and large that most of us are workers and we want to get back to work. What are you better at, or do you have a hidden talent that maybe you didn't know you had that the pandemic has revealed being at home? Like maybe you're an exceptional cook, or maybe you are a, an amazing homeschool teacher, and, and that would have been your other calling if you weren't a voice of the UFC? It's a good question, and candidly not one that I've gotten a lot. I feel like it's almost it's almost resulted in my weaknesses rising to the surface. Well, that's I can tell fair. You all the things I can tell you things I can't do. Right? I yes. can't do most of the third. I, I can't do most of the third grade math, and I'm not saying that to be funny. There's legitimately fraction multiplication things that are just way over my head. Ah. I have been cooking a lot. I've been cleaning a ton. I've actually detailed every bathroom in my house for four separate times. So I've done like 16 bathroom details. So I'm just throwing myself into the cooking and the cleaning and, <laughs> you know, just trying to just run clock. You know, I'm running. I'm doing a little bit more lifting than, than I normally would be doing. Um, but, yeah, man, unfortunately not, not a ton to speak of in terms of strengths that have come to the surface. That's fair, and, and maybe it's just, like you said, it's a weakness that rises, and now you think, well, maybe once the pandemic stops and things return to normal, I won't try and be as ambitious in the kitchen as I was, or I won't right, try and right. build a structure onto my house like I thought I could. That's definitely a fair answer, John. No doubt. It's funny, though, because when I think about my contemporaries in the broadcasting space, and particularly the play-by-play -play guys, 
a lot of those guys, I would assume, are just idling, maybe doing some other content here and there, but just waiting for their lead to return. Whereas in our UFC world, we've been preparing the whole time, pre-voicing stuff. We thought we were going to go April 18th. So right. I haven't had a lot of mental space that has been free to just be bored or watch Netflix. We've been preparing and having anxiety over those shows at times. So my reality has been working maybe more than your average broadcaster out there over the last six weeks. I do have a question regarding the travel, and it's clearly, as you said, a home game for you and, and anybody who is in Florida or, or in the southeast region, if you will. But how much concern, and this is normal, this is human nature, for somebody to look and think, well, I have to fly from California to Florida now, or I have to fly from Boston to Florida, or Boise, Idaho to Florida. Is there a concern, you think, amongst fighters on this card who have to travel a significant amount of space to get to that area? Absolutely. I think fighters are always dealing with varying degrees of anxiety, whether they're flying from the U.S. to Brazil and they don't know if they're going to have hot water with which to cut weight. You know, they might not have a bathtub. Maybe the sauna facilities aren't ideal. Maybe you're in a country where you can't get things nutritionally. So there's always a bunch of stuff that these professional athletes have to deal with that isn't ideal. But I do believe in talking to a lot of the athletes last Friday, Tom, that a lot of them are in a great place. Their training camps largely haven't been compromised. And there are others that are freaking out a little bit, but at the end of the day, they want to provide for their families and they want to get back to competing and not spend a year on the shelf for fear that, you know, it'll hurt their fighting future after the fact. So I think every fighter is dealing with it individually. You know, one variable is that fighters may only be able to bring two or three bodies instead of the traditional four or five. And even though their corner maybe won't be compromised, they won't have that extra body to hit pads with backstage and that messes with them a little bit mentally. So the travel is certainly a part of it. And I think a lot of them are arriving today. And again, when we arrive too, it's like antibody tests. You're doing the swab for the COVID-19 before you can even check into the hotel. You got to go through those measures. So I'd imagine that's a, there's a healthy dose of anxiety until you get through those tests for sure. Did they tell you in detail at all about what happens after the, the first test? Okay. You get swabbed, you get tested, you're able to go in, you're calling the fight. What happens? Are you tested after? Is, is there anything beyond that? What depth did I, did I guess they go through to kind of explain the procedures? Right. It's a good question. And as soon as I'm done with you, I'm going to hop on another procedural call and get the actual broadcast and what our marching orders are going to be. But I can tell you that between 7 a.m. and noon every day, we're going to be screened. So we'll go through that initial screening. The COVID-19 test will be available in 24 hours, but we will still be going back and getting screened, our temperatures taken and everything else to make sure that we're not putting anybody else's health uh, in jeopardy. But I think the the overwhelming dream and hope is that we get all of these 75 athletes over three shows in and out in a healthy way and, and prove to the world that, that it can be done. How big of a fight is this? It's always going to be like the PGA event in Laredo, Texas. That's going to be the first one to return. It's probably going to be the, like the most watched, even more than a major in the last couple of years, just because sports are back. And I understand that there are going to be, and rightfully so, and good for you and the sport, there are going to be a lot more casual eyes on Saturday night simply because a live sport is back. But when you look at it, John Anik, in the grand scheme of UFC, of mixed martial arts, how big of a matchup is the main event on Saturday night? 
It's huge. And even though the fight between Khabib Nurmagomedov and Tony Ferguson for the undisputed UFC lightweight title is not the fight that is happening, Justin Gaethje is no bridesmaid. He is no second fiddle. Before he came to the UFC, he won a major promotions lightweight championship, defended it five times. He's won three consecutive fights all by finish. Gaethje is richly deserving of this showcase and an opportunity to compete for a piece of the UFC title. Of course, on the other side, Tony Ferguson hasn't lost since Cinco de Mayo 2012. He has put together what is arguably the greatest winning streak in the best UFC division, and yet because of one circumstance or another, injuries, weird stuff, global pandemics, he hasn't competed for the ultimate prize, the undisputed UFC lightweight championship, which is just crazy for me every time I say it. But both of these athletes are just so deserving of this opportunity. And in talking to them last Friday, Aton, I mean, they are just so excited and taking so seriously this opportunity to sort of bring sports back to the American and, and global masses. It's, it's a violent fight. It's a bulletproof fight from a matchmaking standpoint. It won't it, it, it is guaranteed to be fireworks for as long as it lasts. I certainly don't think the judges' scorecards will be needed. Uh, but it's, I think it's the perfect main event uh, to return after a two-month hiatus. I think it's perfect. Well, there's a prop bet out there on the global market about which fighter will be the first to bleed. And I wonder if, remember how George Costanza wore that shirt that had the chocolate on it under the red sweater? in that early Seinfeld episode, will you be wearing, is the blood-soaked shirt coming out of a frame, will you be wearing that underneath as maybe a, a memento reminder of that earlier bloodbath that you mentioned? Blood shower, I think you referred it to. Aton, I've never seen anything like it when Tony Ferguson fought Showtime Pettis at UFC 229. It's one thing for us to get splattered with blood like in our face or on our neck, right. but I had like half a pint land on my face my back i almost swore there by the way it landed on my back bro like a huge dollop so i have the shirt next to me right now i am gonna bring it uh to jacksonville because ferguson and pettis are both fighting the goal is to get them to sign it and eventually auction it off for charity but i don't know you're you're jogging my brain a little bit it might be uh, a good opportunity to, to wear the bloody shirt under the suit just for old times well come on are you kidding me this is going to be watched <laughs> by people around the world you'd be a legend wearing that shirt on live tv broadcasting that fight it's not a bad thought by you and i know you have a lot of good thoughts out there and it's funny when i hear you talk about sort of the atmosphere and and the <laughs> magnitude of this show because yeah, when I'm packing my suitcase to go call a Conor McGregor fight, it feels a little bit different. But I've done almost 200 of these that if you allow yourself to think big like that, I just don't think it, it helps you. Um, but I'm hoping we do a big number. But I guess I'm just trying to focus more on like preparing the athletes than, than thinking about the, the magnitude of the moment, which uh, I guess probably shouldn't be lost on me. Well, no, that, that's the difference is you will always walk the line of professionalism by being a human being and, and not a robot by any means. And that's why you're such a great play play by play personality but i'm the guy that's trying to get you to skip class i'm the guy that's like oh come on man you've got one class left it's a thursday what are you a class on friday at one let's go back and hang right and and oftentimes in college when you uh when you laid it out that way i did skip that class that's true and look and it didn't hurt you it might have hurt me but it didn't hurt me at all who is the first to bleed on in this main event is Ferguson going to be – it's even odds for both fighters. Right. 
and both guys bleed, both guys have scar tissue. I would imagine with 11 fights before them that uh, that canvas w- will already be painted and trickled with blood by the time Ferguson and Gaethje make the walk. But, you know, if you're asking me to, uh, from a betting perspective, I think you would have to bet on the underdog bleeding first, right, if it's close to even money. And yes. Gaethje has said publicly this week that he looks forward to having his nose broken. So, I think Gaethje bleeds first, but uh, I don't know if he'll be the last man bleeding if you if you catch my drift. What does him upsetting Ferguson mean moving forward on the the grand scheme of the next big fight? I know you mentioned a name that everybody wants to see in the ring, but what does this upset mean moving forward, even if it's just short term? Well, for Gaethje, it means that he has produced one of the biggest singular wins in UFC lightweight history, even if he won't go home with the undisputed belt. There's no overstating how big a win this would be for Justin Gaethje because it would validate the whole pre-UFC body of work that some people have chosen to denigrate at times because of the level of competition. You come in and beat Tony Ferguson and end his 12 or 13 fight winning streak, it's one of the biggest singular wins in lightweight history. For Tony Ferguson, there's a whole lot of risk, right, because the, the fight between him and Khabib that they have unsuccessfully tried to make now five times might be the biggest singular fight in UFC history. And for Tony to preserve that opportunity, he's got to beat Justin Gaethje. So I do believe that there is a lot of pressure on Ferguson. He seems largely immune to it. But uh, I do think for Gaethje, the world is his oyster. He has an opportunity to effectively change his life forever if uh, if he can win this fight Saturday You're, night. John, you mentioned uh, Pettis as well. Is there another fight, maybe it's that, maybe it's Greg Hardy, that people should have an eye on and – it's something that it, even getting there a little early, maybe a couple of hours early and, and focusing on a fighter or a match that you think is going to be worth people's time. Not to say that others won't, but I'm saying one that would stand out even beyond the great card that we have. Right. Well, this is not promotional hyperbole when I say this is the deepest card that I have been assigned to. Nice. A lot of people thought the UFC was going to load it up, which we have done because we lost a few cards. We lost a few main events. Like Francis Ngannou, who is our Mike Tyson, the scariest puncher to have ever graced that octagon, he was supposed to fight in a main event against Jarzinho Rosenstrike on March 28th. Now that's a featured bout on pay-per-view because obviously that card went away. So obviously this fight card has gained a lot of steam. But even the ESPN prelims, right? Like the first fight you'll see on ESPN at middleweight, Uriah Hall, an electric striker, taking yeah. on one of the most credentialed Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners in UFC history in Jacare Souza. You know, the karate hottie fighting former champion Carla Esparza. It is truly an embarrassment of riches, and if ever there were a night to sit down and devote yourself to seven hours of live UFC coverage, I know the promotion cuts my check, but I'm telling you, this is the night to do it. Look, I, you can be a shill for something and still be 100% accurate. There's nothing that says those two things have to be mutually exclusive, John. That's the truth, man. And I've been called a show many times, and I'm okay with it. You know, when we were sitting there at at Gettysburg College doing whatever we were doing (laughs) recreationally, I barely knew what MMA stood for. I was not an MMA fan at that time. I wanted to be an NFL guy, right? But now this is my favorite sport in the world. It's sort of my foremost passion in life, and, uh, you know, hopefully it translates on the broadcast, I guess, you know. You were one of the first people – in ESPN when I remember this and correct me if I'm wrong that basically was asked to trailblaze UFC mixed martial arts that type of a sport that wasn't mainstream to trailblaze it I think you guys started on ESPN too right because they made you grow your hair out yeah 
Exactly. And finally, they were okay with a little beard. I think I was one of the few, the few Caucasian men since Charlie Steiner to ever try to wear a beard on ESPN. Ah. But yeah, so I was like a boxing radio guy, and then I was working at ESPN Radio in Bristol. So they were launching a show called MMA Live on ESPN.com in 2008. It eventually migrated to ESPN2. But I got to audition for that show because I had a boxing background and I was in the building. And one thing led to another. And I just got the MMA bug, something fierce, man. I mean, when I went and saw my first mixed martial arts event live in 2007, I was a boxing fan ready to tear MMA apart on my radio show the next day. And instead, I was blown away and it became my favorite sport in the world. And it's kind of the way it went down. That's amazing. And and look, I mean, you're you're right there at the top and rightfully so. And you have a hell of a co-host as well. How often uh, what what type of discussions do you have that aren't UFC related? Well, it's interesting because Joe Rogan has now been my primary broadcast partner for three years. And he's right. an A-list celebrity, which injects a little bit of a different dynamic into the relationship. We, we've never been as close as we are now. What's funny is that we'll talk about coffee and pop cultural things, but for the most part, bro, when we're sitting in the back before the show, we're talking about fights because it's the most common ground that Joe and I have. And we're just excited to talk about fights with each other without having to stay grounded to all of the broadcast things for a little bit. So most of our conversations, either over text or in person when we're not on the air, end up being about fighting. But he's a fascinating individual and really big picture for me. He's embraced me to such an extent. You know, this is a guy who worked with one guy for 20 years in a two-man booth. And then all of a sudden, you know, he gets a new play-by-play guy and he's a three-man booth now instead of two. So I give Rogan all the credit in the world. It's absolutely criminal that he's never been nominated for a sports Emmy in this country. I don't know what else he needs to do, but uh, it always feels more special when he's to my right, that's for sure. Well, I, I mean, personally, I have no problem in the world believing that he, he immediately warmed up to you. I, I also have a very difficult, uh, I, I guess, I, it's very difficult for me to believe that at no point Elon Musk smoking with Rogan ever did not come up between the two of you. Oh, of course. Of course. I think I'm on the short list of guys who hasn't had a chance to to burn one down with the great Joe Rogan. Maybe what? Maybe i got to move to the West Coast, but... Uh, hopefully at some point in the not-too-distant future we can cross that off the bucket list. But, uh, yeah, you can be sure we've talked about that Elon Musk episode a time what, or two. All right, just one last thing, all right, and, and I promise yeah. I won't take up any more of your time, brother. I know it's a, a crazy weekend to be leading up for you, and, and, again, UFC 249 is the main event. What's the craziest thing you've ever had a conversation with Rogan about? Cool. Just like something that you never thought in a million years you'd be talking to anybody about. And, oh, by the way, it was with Joe Rogan. Yeah, that's a good question. The first thing that came to mind was was weight cutting and some of the extreme measures that people have gone to in the past. And this is not a UFC story, but I once heard a story, Aton, of of a fighter, uh, like, withdrawing blood from his system to try to make weight. So I remember vividly talking to Joe about that and – and blowing his mind a little bit with that detail. Nice. But, uh, he's just He just has a special energy, man. You know what I mean? And I think just his dry humor in the dressing room uh, is, is just as valuable as anything on the broadcast. He's just a special, special, unique guy. Awesome, John. Again, at John underscore Anik on Twitter. Main, I actually got into a beef a couple of years ago with a local Philadelphia host because – 
I referred to you as the voice of UFC, and he was saying, no, 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 that's Rogan, that's Rogan. And I said, no, the play-by-play guy is the voice. You could say the color commentator is the face or whatever else, but whenever you refer to the, like, Eli Gold, right, the voice of Alabama football, that's what it is. It's the voice. So I actually, you know, I almost came to blows in the studio sticking up for you. This is the lengths I go for you, Anik. Well, I appreciate that, and I'm, I'm hoping Bruce Buffer is not in his native Philadelphia and listening right now because he is the veteran voice of the Octagon and takes great issue with people calling me the voice. No, I'm kidding. Well, we're, listen, we're I, tight, I but, never uh, saw Buffer on these streets. I'm out here in these streets, all right? Uh, I'm in Philly. That's right. That's right. But, no, I appreciate the support, of course. And, uh, you know, when Dana White's your boss, you don't take the seat for granted. So I may be yep. the lead play-by-play voice for the MMA leader right now, but i got to go earn that seat in a few days and – and that's something that I take pretty seriously, and uh, hopefully we have a good one. We haven't had a perfect show yet, buddy. Maybe this weekend. Well, I'm, I'm hoping, and again, you know what would push it over the top? Maybe what makes it a 99% show to a 100% show is that blood-soaked shirt. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. All right. We'll see. Well, I'll pack it for you. I promise you that. It'll be in the car. Thanks, John. I love you, man. Love you, buddy. Thanks for having me. All right, that's John Anik, at John underscore Anik on the Dr. Glatt Regrow Your Hairline. Dr. Paul Glatt, Philadelphia's leading hair restoration doctor. What are the odds? Fox Sports Radio, The Gambler, presented by Cure Auto Insurance.